All right, guys, welcome to Salt City Church. For those of you who it's your first time, I just want to say thank you so much for coming. It is great to have you guys here. I don't know about you, but as Jordan was talking about the students who had been saved in Salt Company, my heart just resonates with that so much and just reminded me of why we came to start this church. And I think it's primarily because we want ordinary people to know that they have access to God and can develop a deep relationship with him. I thought of a number of things over the, over the years that have just delighted me and put this sense that I just want to help make God accessible to as many people as I possibly can. I remember when I was in high school, I was part of this ministry, and my freshman year, there were maybe 50 people coming, and by my senior year, there were maybe 120 people coming. And I remember toward the end of my high school career, there would be guys standing outside of the ministry smoking weed. And I loved that. I absolutely loved that. It was such a contrast to me of my youth group where it was kind of just the religious homeschool crowd. And this was like the lost kids. And I loved that. And I got to see a few of those kids come to know Jesus during my high school career. I also remember... At different times in my walk with Jesus, being in small group with people and hearing them pray for the first time. Have you ever experienced that? For weeks after weeks, maybe you're kind of going around the circle and they're like, okay, skip over me. I don't want to pray. And getting to see those people pray for the first time is amazing. And maybe my favorite one is when someone gets baptized and they cuss during their testimony. If there is like a target and that is the center of the target that we're trying to hit at Salt City, that's it right there. That people would cuss during their testimony because they were so lost and they're almost surprised that they're saved and they accidentally drop some bomb from the stage. That is a beautiful moment. And here's, here's what we're going to see in this text this morning is that Jesus' mission was to clear the way so that ordinary people would know that they have access to God. He was trying to clear away all the religious junk and just make it absolutely clear who God was and what his mission was. And that was to bring people into the presence of God. So we're going to look at three qualities of Jesus that reveal God's accessibility. We're looking at his comedic humility, his powerful authority, and his gentle authority. So let's just go through each one of those. First of all, his comedic humility. So we're in Mark chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 here to start. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Give you a second to turn there. The verses will also be up on the screens. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. 
And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and then they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now, we have to understand is the entire gospel of Mark has, lead, has been leading us to this point where Jesus would come into Jerusalem. And he has been in a village outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And now he's making this trek into Jerusalem, and he's about to announce himself as the king. And people, as we see in this text, are ready to worship him as the king. And at first we see Jesus using his amazing power and authority to secure for himself what's likely a donkey. So we sort of hear this interchange between him and his disciples. And he's like, okay, you're going to go into town. You're going to see this cold or this donkey tied up. Some people are going to ask you about it. You're going to take it. And they listen to him. And the text says that things are exactly as he said it would be. Now, this is kind of an amazing story, right? Like, how did Jesus from such a distance know that this donkey would still tie, be tied up there. After all, somebody could have just moved it between the time that he told the disciples to go get it and the time when they got it. And so immediately we see his amazing power and authority, his foreknowledge to know that this exact donkey is going to be there and that his disciples are going to be able to get it and that no one's going to beat them up when they're trying to steal it. So they bring this donkey back to Jesus and then we have this interesting scene that many of us are familiar with. We've celebrated it on Palm Sunday for years and years and years and years. And we see Jesus riding into town on this donkey and people are worshiping him. But we might have missed the simple fact that a donkey is like the weirdest animal for a king to ride on. Right? Like you think a king is going to ride on a big, strong, black horse or a big, strong, white horse. In other words, your ride is a marker of your status, right? So let me show you a picture of what this donkey might have looked at like that Jesus was riding on, okay? So, I mean, you can kind of see like Jesus he, he was actually, at this point, about my age. I'm 33. Jesus was 33. And, you know, I don't know how tall he was. But you can imagine, like, his legs were kind of, like, awkwardly sticking off the sides. Right? And at that point in history, guys kind of wore dresses. Right? So, you can imagine him sort of rounding the corner, and you're standing on the sidelines, and you've got your branch, and you're ready to welcome the king... And you're ready for him to ride around the corner on a big white horse. And here comes Jesus. And you got this animal underneath him. It's like, hee-haw, hee-haw. And you're like, okay. What is going on here? I thought this was the king. Why is he riding a donkey again? Well, I think that Jesus was trying to show us something about his humility. He's trying to show us something about his accessibility. Jesus wanted to remove all of his status so that we would know 
without doubt that we, even we, just ordinary, messed up people, can be in relationship with him. I'll never forget, guys, going to game three of the 1998 NBA Finals. Okay, so I gotta tell you this story. My uncle worked for the Chicago Sun-Times. Every kid who grew up in the 90s was a huge Chicago Bulls fan because Michael Jordan played for the Chicago Bulls. So my uncle calls me and says that he has an extra ticket to the Bulls game versus the Utah Jazz. So this is like Michael Jordan's last run in the playoffs. And so, of course, I say yes. My dad drives me up. My uncle and I drove to the game. And my first experience of seeing Michael Jordan was to see him in his Ferrari driving down the tunnel into the stadium. And so everybody else, like, you'd have, like, Tony Kukoc and Scottie Pippen and all these other famous Bulls players. They'd be driving down in the tunnel. They would actually stop outside of the arena, and they all had nice cars too, and they would kind of get out and wave. But then Jordan, he came late, and his car went, like, 45 miles an hour down this ramp. He didn't even stop, just went straight in. And what you noticed was... His status was in his ride. The way that he entered the stadium said something about what he believed about himself and about how accessible he wanted to be to the people there. Now imagine this scenario. Imagine instead of driving a Ferrari that fast down that ramp, Michael Jordan drove this car. Okay? A Geo Metro. Okay, and imagine if there's smoke coming out the, the engine on it, and he kind of comes around the corner, and everyone's just like, what is the janitor doing driving in the player's entrance? And no one can quite tell that it's him, and he drives down and stops in front, and he like just makes it, right? He rolls down, he gets out, and starts to wave at people, and they're like, that's Michael Jordan, you can kind of see him through the window, right? He's six foot, six inches tall. His knees are up. They're like hitting his face. He's wearing a nice suit. He jumps out. You'd be like, why is Michael Jordan driving the Geo Metro? I think people were having the same question about Jesus. Wait, I thought this guy was claiming to be God. I thought he was an important person. I thought he was a great teacher. I thought he was a great healer. And Jesus chose a symbol which he wanted to resemble his status. He wanted to say to each of us here today, I am one of you. I'm putting aside my rights, my privileges, in my status so that I can be in an intimate relationship with you. You don't have to climb a ladder to get to God. God came all the way down the ladder to you. And he rode a donkey to prove that you don't have to be impressive to be in relationship with him. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to do anything. Which is why in this very next story, 
Jesus gets incredibly angry. You might think, okay, wait. Jesus is riding on a donkey. In the very next story, we see him get angry. And the reason that he gets angry is because religion is the greatest obstacle to God's accessibility. Religion makes people think that they have to perform to be in relationship with God. And Jesus gets angry when people do that because his very mission was the exact opposite. And so secondly, we see Jesus' powerful authority. We're picking up the story in Mark chapter 11. We're skipping a few verses, just verses 15 through 17. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So here's what's happened. Jesus rode the donkey into town. Then he went back to the town of Bethany. He's coming in toward the temple. And there's sort of this weird thing that happens where Jesus curses a fig tree. And then he goes into the temple. And he actually makes a whip And there's all these religious leaders there. Let me set the scene for you a little bit. This is Passover. An extra 400,000 or so people are in town for Passover. And what they're celebrating supposedly is that God has rescued them out of slavery by the blood of the lamb. People kill the lamb, they put the blood over the doorpost, God passed over their houses, he killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians, and he brought the people of Israel out. That's how they became a people, by the blood of the lamb. And Jesus walks in to the outer court of the temple. So there were four courts. There's the court of the Gentiles. That's where all non-Jews could go. There was the court of women. That's where Jewish women could enter. You had the court of the men, which is where only Jewish women could enter. And then you have the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could enter. And Jesus goes into the outermost court, and what he sees there is he sees the religious leaders selling sheep to poor Gentiles. You see, what happened was, all over the city of Jerusalem, it basically turned into one big marketplace where people were trying to profit off of the Passover. And so the religious leaders had come up with an excellent scheme. Let's get everyone to come to the temple, and we'll declare that our sheep are pre-blessed. They give you special access to God. You want to really be in the presence of God? You've got to buy our sheep. Here's the problem. They jacked the prices way up. So there's lines and lines and lines and lines of people everywhere with their last dime trying to buy access to God. And Jesus 
who just rode into town on a donkey to show that God is accessible to everyone, that you don't have to buy your way into his presence, that you don't have to work your way into his presence, but that he has come all the way down. He walks into the temple and he absolutely goes off. Can you imagine this scene? This well-known Jewish leader and teacher has just been celebrated as the king, walks into the temple and he just starts throwing tables over. He starts whipping actual people. Probably had just a bulging vein on the side of his head. Just screaming. You've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. You've tried to sell accessibility to God. You've turned relationship with God into a religion. And he says, my father's house was supposed to be a house of prayer. In other words, this was supposed to be the place where people came. They got on their knees with tears in their eyes. The priest explained to them that they could have access to God by the blood of the lamb. And they would cry out to God and they would know him in intimate relationship. And Jesus is angry because the religious leaders of their day and the religious leaders of our day keep people from coming to God through traditions. And whatever the obstacle is, Jesus' mission is to remove it. Guys, just Thursday night, one of the stories that Jordan was referring to, there was a student who came to Salt Company for the second time. I also had the privilege of preaching on Thursday night at Salt Company. Just down the road, close to campus, here at the U. And just simply explained the gospel message. That Jesus, finished work, gives us access to God. And that actually, we don't have to do anything. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I had talked to the student before the service. And he came up to me after the service. <coughs> stunned. And he said to me, you're telling me you don't have to do anything. And he said, so what do I do? And I said, do you believe what I said about Jesus? That he made the way to God where there is no way. And he said, yes, I believe that. And I said, you're saved. And I was both so happy to have the privilege of being able to lead this guy into relationship with Jesus. But I was also mad. He'd been to church. Why didn't anyone tell him this before? I thought all of the times that he and so many other students and so many other people in the city go to church and they hear about all the things that they have to do to be right with God. I hope you share in this 
anger of Jesus when people block his accessibility, when you see the contrast between his humility and the religious leader's greed and pride. So here's the question. I think all of us, to some degree, we feel exposed. Right? I don't know about you, but I know that at different times in my life, through my pride, my greed, I think I've probably blocked people's accessibility to God. I have showed them by my life and my seeking after status that I am more concerned with my reputation and my security and my well-being than I am for their salvation. So the question is, is there hope for people like us in front of this powerful authority named Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus' authority is not just powerful. It's also incredibly gentle. Let's look at his gentle authority in Mark eleven twenty-seven through 33. Okay, so again, he went back to Bethany. So this is his third trip, right? So he made the trip on the donkey. He made the trip to go whip people. This is his third trip. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they had held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You can imagine, this conversation was kind of awkward. Last time Jesus was in the temple, he had a whip, and he was hitting these guys with it. He comes back into the temple. And you can imagine, some of these guys have like marks from the whip on their arms. And they're kind of looking down like, by what authority do you do these things? what are you doing? Riding on a donkey, whipping people, letting people call you king. Who do you think you are? And Jesus responds back to them in sort of a hilarious way, but it's also incredibly gentle. He asks them a completely unrelated question about the baptism of John. He's like, okay, Baptism in John, was it from heaven or from men? They feel totally trapped by this because they're like, okay, if we answer from heaven, then all these people who are watching this conversation are going to wonder why we don't believe in Jesus. And we don't believe what John was saying, which he was saying that he wasn't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. But... If we say that it's from man, then the people are going to get really mad at us because 
they actually believe that the baptism of John is from heaven. So it says they were afraid of the people. So they answer, I don't know. And Jesus says, okay, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Here's what I think Jesus was doing. He was showing the religious leaders that they were totally full of crap. They knew by what authority he was doing those things. Jesus could have said, of course you know by what authority I'm doing these things, I'm God. But instead, he gently probed them with questions. Can't a question be more powerful in your life than someone yelling at you? Think about the most profoundly impactful moments in your life. And I don't know about for you, but I know for me, it's when I think that somebody is going to respond to me with anger and a heavy hand, and instead, they gently probe me with questions. Let me give you an example. I remember when I was in high school, my parents were leaving town, and they said, while we're out of town, do not have anyone at the house. And I pressed them on it. I said, come on, I'm 17 years old. Let me have people at the house while you guys are gone. They said, no one at the house. And so inside, I said, I'm going to have people over at the house. On the outside, I said, okay, I won't. So Friday night, high school football game, invited, I think, probably 30, 35 people over to my parents' house. <laughs> they all came over. We had a great time. <laughs> we boxed each other. We smoked cigars. We did a bunch of stuff. Thought I got the house cleaned up, had people clean stuff up, throw it away, got it all figured out. One of my friends left his AOL Instant Messenger account up on my parents' computer. You guys remember AOL Instant Messenger? <laughs> this is, I'm dating myself back in the day. My AOL screen name was Drufus719. Okay. Anyway. So he leaves his AOL Instant Messenger account up on the computer. My parents come back. I think I'm off scot-free. Of course, word has already gotten around. I don't know this, right? My parents, my friend's parents and all that. So my parents already know. My dad sits me down on the couch. Drew, did you have people over to our house while we were gone? Nope. I didn't. Oh, why was this friend's instant messenger account up on the computer? I don't know. Maybe I logged into it and I don't know. Hey, I talked to Pete's parents. They said he was over here. Well, yeah, I mean, I had Pete over, but that was it. Long silence. Tears start to well up in my dad's eyes. 
I'm so disappointed in you. Walks away. I didn't get grounded, didn't get my car taken away. No punishment. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have that happen or have your dad yell in your face? 10 times out of 10, I'd pick my dad yelling in my face. You have to hear Jesus calling you out in this passage in the most gentle way possible. What are the supposed doubts, the supposed fears, the supposed unbeliefs that you have that are actually just a smokescreen because you don't want to submit to Jesus' authority. You just want to keep living your life the way that you want to live your life. Maybe the step for you is for the first time just to be honest with God and say, you know what? I know you're there. I know you came to the earth. I know you died on the cross for me, but I don't want to submit to you. And you will see the ugliness of the fact that the Savior who came to the earth to give himself, you access to him, has had tears in his eyes and you have been flipping him off your entire life. But you know, this is not the ultimate example of the gentleness of Jesus. There's this moment where we find Jesus few chapters later, he's hanging on the cross. And on the cross, what he's saying to all of humanity is I'll take the punishment for your disregard for me and your disobedience toward me. And I'll give you, I'll extend you forgiveness and love and grace. And on the cross, he looks out at that crowd and he looks out at all of humanity And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I would implore you to come to this gentle Jesus. He has all power and authority in all of the universe. And he used his power and authority to get on the back of a donkey to get onto the cross, to tell you that he will go to any lengths to know you, to have a relationship with you. Would you submit to him? Let's pray. Jesus, your power and your humility and your gentleness are amazing to us. you could at any moment crush us for our sin. And yet you choose over the course of our life to gently remind us who you are, to draw us into relationship with you, to instruct us through your word. You don't pile the shame on, but you draw us in love.
I pray that for somebody here, they would be able to just put down their weapons. They'd be able to admit that they know what's true about you. They've just been unwilling to submit to you. And in giving the keys of their life over to you, Jesus, would they find the incredible joy of walking with you? In Jesus' name.